Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is writer and actor Ollie Lansley. Hi Ollie, how's it going? Hello, uh, it's going very well, thank you. Yeah. Lovely to be here. How's your lockdown been? How's my lockdown been? It's been a lockdown, well the first one was pretty full on, the second one sort of feels like a sort of, I don't know, it feels very different, it feels like it hasn't really happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's certainly been a very strange year, but um, everything feels a bit more positive now, you know, we're starting to vaccinate people, and we've got Christmas, and mm. so it, it feels okay at the moment. <laughs> it seems, seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly, it feels like there's light at the end of the tunnel, that's a very good way to put it. Yes. Even though it's cold. Hopefully in the spring we'll be making work in theatres, maybe. Fingers crossed. I feel like that's what everyone is kind of, that's the feeling that everyone's got. Like, spring is when, you know, we unleash it all and we get to get back in rooms again. Definitely. I wanted to start the same way I start every one of these episodes and ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre? Well, I sort of, would, like, I I kind of knew what I wanted to do, like, from a really, really young age. So I guess even at, like, primary school, I knew I, I loved it. I was in the school plays, and I was really kind of, you know, apparently when I was um, very young, uh, still at primary school, I would put on shows in my parents' front garden for the neighbours. I was, like, one of those annoying, precocious kids um and just knew the whole time and then when i you know went through secondary school i did every opportunity that came up i did um you know like weekend schools and national youth theater and sorry youth theater and stuff like that and i just sort of basically did everything that i could get my hands on and, and you know, secondary school during one of the summer holidays i put on a show um you basically convinced them to let me have the drama studio and put a show on so i was always kind of making stuff and doing stuff um, I don't know quite where that came from because there's no mm. one in my family that is in any way connected. You know, my dad's a builder, my mum worked in the NHS, so there's no sort of, and they're all very, you know, my family is very, my sister was not interested. So where it came from, I don't know, but um, I sort of had that interest very early. Um, and then I just, um, yeah, I just kind of took every opportunity I, that I got, but I was also very sort of, um, I very much someone who wanted to do it as opposed to sort of sit and learn about it. I was like, I just want to get up there and get on a stage and grab it. And, you know, that's the way that I, I learn, I suppose. Uh, it sounds like you kind of started making your own work at a really young age, like wanting to make your own work. I guess I did. I mean, I never thought about it like that. But, yeah, I guess I was... I was, you know, at school, I would be putting on little shows, and I remember getting, like, an old VHS video camera and making little videos and stories at secondary school and, like, you know, all the, the kind of devising you do in, in drama, like, mm. which you, you, there's much less of it in school now than there was when I was at school. But, yeah, I think I just, I really took to that um, from early on, and, and, and the sort of... I suppose it's a more collaborative approach to making theatre, which again, you know, comes down to my uh, fantastic drama teachers. I was very lucky at school to have really brilliant um, teachers who kind of 
uh, nurtured that in me and I was very very lucky that you know in a state school like mine to have people that mm. um uh, Mr. Neil, Miss Smith, and uh, Mr. Morris were my drum teachers, and they were all fantastic. And they kind of you know, the, the shows they put on were great, and they really encouraged and nurtured that in me, I think. And that kind of gave me a great start. And, and when did you kind of start thinking, This is what I want to do, I want a career in this somehow? I think by secondary school, I knew that. I think at that time, I was. I just thought I wanted to be an actor. So I think, mm. although I was doing this stuff, like I said, I, you know, when I was at secondary school, I put on this show in the drama studio and I was making stuff. I don't, don't think I really thought of, like, the idea of being a... I, I directed that show, but I never really thought about that idea of being a, of the theatre maker or a writer or stuff mm. like that. I think I was very much thinking about it from the acting side. Um, like you were taking... Like you, were taking, oh, like you were taking on these roles of directing and writing, yeah, but not really knowing. Almost. Yeah. Exactly. I was sort of doing it because I wanted to act in it. Mm. <laughs> so I was like putting on the stuff and going, well, I want to play that part. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on this show where I want to I wanna do this. I want to, you know, act in this. So I'm going to write something that I can do. And actually, like most of my career kind of started that way. That's why I started writing. To, to put on stuff for, for me to be in mm. and you know I guess that's why I started producing or directing all of that sort of stuff so it, it kind of came out of that but I think that's that's probably quite a common thing for a lot of people you know certainly when you're younger the, the, the acting side of things yeah. feels like the most obvious thing that you see and then you learn about all these other things as you go on it's just I think part of it is that um, playwriting or, or directing that's never kind of taught as a role or a job in in school drama lessons or it wasn't to me at least so it takes a while it also probably seems very grown up as well like yeah. the idea of being like 13 year olds and being like I want to be a director I want yeah, to be a producer yeah, yeah. It, it sort of feels like a very grown up job <laughs> <laughs> And, and like, as someone who, who didn't go to university, like, mm. was that a decision that you made, or was it? It was. Um, I mean, again, at the time, like in hindsight, you can kind of look back and pull it apart and say this and that. I think really at the time, my biggest driving factor was that I was just so desperate to go out and do it, and so the idea of like. You know, I, I left school at seven, 16, 17, and then, you know, like a lot of drama schools didn't want to take people until they were sort of 18 or 19 yeah. at, at least. And I, I didn't really have the money to go to like a, a fancy drama school unless I got a scholarship. Um, and so the idea of like going, okay, well, I'm going to, uh, I'm leaving, going to leave school now, and then I've got to just like wait for two years, and then I've got to do another three yeah. years of training. I was just, was way too impatient for that, so I um, I did get a scholarship to uh, Atelier Conti, which where I went for a year, and I was doing all like singing and dancing, which was great fun. Um, and I managed to get that because I used to do their Sunday schools that they did, like um, associate schools, yeah. and, and they were very kind to me, and they gave, gave me a scholarship. But I sort of stayed there for a year, and then I started doing like making lunchtime theatre, and again I started putting mm. on shows in their studio. And again, I was just like, after a year, I was like, I want to I wanna do it, I want to be out there. And I think the scene was a lot different than it is now, that there was a big kind of fringe theatre scene, you know, big London fringe theatre scene, yeah. and you could kind of, it was much easier to go out and just hop between things and do like profit shares and do pub theatre. Mm. You know, that stuff is so expensive now and so cost prohibitive. Um, and also like, I could just live, I, I could just, I could scrape by and, and you know and and do those projects now in a way that I think is really really hard for young mm. people to do and not and live in London and and not be completely bankrupt. So uh, I think I was lucky that I could sort of see a path uh, in that sense. But I've been very lucky and, and I've just kept going. Um, but at the same time, like, I I then got to the point where I. It is hard to break in the industry without those things, like without 
having the drama school on your CV or this or that and the other. Mm. So, you know, that's probably really why I ended up starting up my own theatre company and and making my own work and kind of finding my way in, in, in that way because, you know, there were, I'm sure there were times early on when I was like, oh, maybe I made a just bad mm. decision or I should have should have gone to drama school, this, that, and the other. Saying that, I'm, I, you know, I've got, I got a few lucky breaks and I think, you know, in some ways you look at lucky breaks and you go, if you, if you keep going for long enough, the law of averages that yeah. you will hopefully have one or two of them. Um, and I managed to get a good agent and I managed to, you know, I, I, you know, I did it. I managed to, you know, go out straight out and get a, a really nice theatre role and, and that got well reviewed and then I got an agent off the back of that and, you know, so I, I had these kind of lucky things that kind of helped point me in the right direction. Um, did it ever really, was, yeah. did it ever really feel like a disadvantage not going to drum school? I think if I, if I'd, if for my career, I only ever wanted to just be an actor, mm. then I think at times it might have felt like a disadvantage. Saying that, I got when I was God, how old was I in, in my early thirties? I managed to again this very you know amazing stroke of luck. I managed to get this amazing role playing Kenny Everett in this BBC film mm, which is this yeah. incredible like lead role that you know all these fancy actors were up for and I got that role through I went into the production company who were making it to have a meeting as a writer about something they were in the process of trying to cast it they've been trying to cast him for ages and they hadn't had any luck and I in that meeting, I was like, what else are you doing? And they mentioned this thing, and uh, this Kenny Everett thing, and my eyes lit up, and I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Who's going to play it? I was super excited about it. And I have no idea why or how, but the producer that I was with just sort of went, oh, okay. And then the next day, I got a phone call saying, you know, come in and audition. Mm. And, and somehow, I got it. <laughs> and, you know, like, that was just an absolute kind of, stroke of fate that, that gave me this incredible role which um you know had a huge impact on my acting mm. career so there's a you know there's a world where if i'd have gone to, to drama school and had a different path that i wouldn't have ended up in that that wouldn't have happened position or in that role so you know it's very hard to know i think when you're in a position where you're sort of struggling or you want more from your career it's very easy to look back and go well, would this have done, would this have changed things, would that have mm. made a difference, like, did I make the wrong decision? But whenever you're in a positive place, you can look back and go, oh, all these things wouldn't have happened without this, that, and the other. I think the truth is yeah. that your path, the path that you take is going to take you in a certain direction. I think if you work hard enough and you've got, you know, you've got a certain amount of ability, but you work hard enough, you've got the right work ethic and you keep going you know opportunities eventually will kind of present mm. themselves if you've got if you can be open to them you know um and i think that's a that's a massive key as well it is like being open to them you know it's the, the sort of law of attraction thing but which is the hardest thing to do particularly mm. as an actor when you when you need a job but if you've got this sort of energy where you're where it's like you know, you're kind of closed to the opportunities. If you're closed to the opportunities because you're frustrated or you're yeah. angry or you're slightly resentful, it just it sort of comes out in your spirit, and those opportunities don't don't happen. I mean, I know that sounds very airy fairy, and but I, I think there really is something to this thing of you know, any actors out there will know that the moment that you're not bothered about getting a job is when you suddenly start to book them. Mm. You know, the moment that you book a holiday and you're like. I, you haven't had a job for a year and you're like right I'm going to book away that one week in August and then you get an audition that is that one week in August and you kind of go into that audition going oh, I, don't, I don't need this job but you uh, if you, 100% you get it but, but isn't it but if you go in with that attitude oh, I don't need this without being bothered about it there's, a, there's less of a chance that you will get it don't you think no I think I think I, 
You don't want to go in being like, oh, I don't want to get it, I'm mm. not interested. But what you do want to do is go in feeling like free of the burden of like, if you're, if you're going into an audition being like, I have to get this job, it's so important, yeah. like my life depends on it, oh, like this is the only opportunity I've had, and this, that and the other. Like that is a weight, that burden of um, mm. pressure on you is is hard and, and you know people feel that when you're auditioning you know people that are auditioning you feel that sort mm-hmm. of desperation if you like and that kind of you know whereas if you're just strolling in light and breezy and you go in you make choices also like as an actor that pressure often doesn't um is not going to color your performance in a good way if you're walking into a room you, as an actor, I find often you want to be free. You want to be able to. You want to yeah. feel like you can take risks and you know make decisions and do that again. And you know, for that you want to kind of t- have a lightness to you. You want to yeah. take that pressure off your shoulders so you can go in and you can throw it around and you can you know. So it's it's it, you know it's a complicated one. And and having been in that, having had those moments in my career where you're just like oh. I just desperately want a job. Saying to those people, "Hey, you know, lighten up, go here, don't worry about it, it's yeah. fine." It's in, it's one of the hardest things to cultivate. But looking back now from my on my career and the opportunities that I've had, you know, you've got to be, you've just got to be completely flexible. You've got to roll with the punches. You've got, to, you know, unless you're one of those people that goes, you know. Eaton Oxford rather straight away, <laughs> you know, like, fine. But if, but otherwise, like a, a long career in this industry is mm-hmm. about um, being adaptable, and it's about highs and lows, mm-hmm. and it's about enjoying the process as much as the product. And and you know, Definitely. as long as you can do that, then I think you can just keep going. And, and you know, it, it it there is this sort of alchemy in it that is so hard to put its finger on but i think i think you know that's the sort of thing that we're all always trying to capture i suppose and um i'm gonna move on slightly um but when you created uh les enfants Thierry in 2001 did did you kind of see yourself as as mainly an actor at that point yeah, I think so, definitely. I, I think, you know, I I started writing because I really, in a way, because I couldn't afford to pay for the rights to put on other people's plays. We had a, we had a, we managed to blag a slot at the White Bear Theatre, I think, and we wanted to do Metamorphosis by Burkhoff, and I think for some mm. reason we couldn't afford it, or we couldn't get the rights, and but we had this sort of free slot, so I was like, well, I'll write something. And that kind of was my first proper thing like that. Um, and I wrote, you know, I, I was writing bits and bobs, but I, I, I sort of never had those like really clear delineations between all the different roles. I suppose I just sort of, um, you know, like it, it, it's just this sort of idea of making theatre, so you kind of do everything, you know. Like I, did, I didn't think, it, I think for the first few years of those on I didn't even know about the roles of like lighting designers and set designers. Yeah. You know, like our set would be like. <laughs> I would uh, I would just go and find this set and you would you would buy these bits and everyone would bring their own costume and lighting design was literally like you know we got six lights point them at the stage and t- you know so I learned about all that stuff much much more as I was moving forwards um, but yeah I think I, I I definitely saw my you know acting as what I love to do but then obviously I kind of I love this other stuff as well. And I think I was always a bit like, the thing about being an actor is you're sort of always at the mercy of other people. You, mm. you've kind of got to sit there and, and wait for the opportunities. And also, really, you can only do the jobs that other people want to give you. You know, you can you might see yourself as this role, but unless yes. someone gives you that role, if everyone else sees you as this role over here, that's what you've got to do. You're being um, put in boxes, I guess. People have a perception of you. Particularly in screen I think you know that's and maybe it happens even more so now like to kind of carve out for me the 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 thing that I love about acting is the sort of transformational aspect and like 
you know, and like you probably see from the theatre stuff we do, it's very like big and like yeah. European and characterful and stuff. And you know, I I love that part of acting more than just playing lots of versions of myself saying different things. So <laughs> I, um, you know, that's what I, you know, I love about the theatre side of things because you can be very transformational. But then in the TV side, I guess I've, I've, you know, worked to kind of slightly cultivate a little avenue where I can just come in and do little bits. And yeah. <laughs> That's why Kenny was so great, because I got to play a proper character, because mm. he was such a character, uh, the Kenny Everett thing. And, and, and so that kind of opened a few avenues in that regard. But so I think in a way, like, the uh, acting is one of my favourite things in the world when you're playing a great part with a great team. Mm. Um, there's a lot about that as a career that is um, is not that. Um, yeah. And so I think I would have gone a bit mad if, I didn't, if everything was resting on the shoulders does, of just that. Does the bad outweigh the good? Do you think? I guess it, well, that depends on, on what's happening in your career, I true, suppose. Like, true. If you're, I've been, I've been through all of those times. You know, I've I've gone through periods where like it was just, we were just doing so much with the theatre company, and we were travelling the world, and it was just incredible. I've gone through long periods of where I've sort of been trying to do more TV stuff, and I've been out mm. of work and just waiting for the phone to ring, and not going on holiday in case an audition comes through, and that's not good. I've been at times when I've, you know, I've got these amazing highs like the Kenny thing or all oh, that's led to these other lovely gigs and you go and you do Doctor Who or Sherlock or Misfits mm. and you're, you know, on all these cool shows and that's great. But it's, I think you've just got to go, that's what it is. You know, there's no, I don't think there's any actor in the world that has the perfect career yeah. or has had the perfect career for their whole career. You know, you can, pick, yeah. you can pick actors now and go, you know, oh, Mark Rylance and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Mark Rylance is so good because he, you know, 10 years ago, like most people wouldn't, five years ago, most people probably wouldn't have known who you were talking about. But he was just doing what he did and he was but he, he absolutely was a, brilliant at it, you know. He was a prolific theatre actor, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was just... And he was happy with that as well, yeah. <laughs> you know. And and that's why he was so brilliant because he was like, you know, he turned down Spielberg the first time, didn't he? Because he was, he was yeah, right. Right. And you go, that's why I think he's so brilliant because he just he did what he did, and you know, he, he, he focused on the work and and the process of the work, and and, and you know, I think that shows in mm. him as you know as a performer because there's this sort of joy to him which is so amazing to watch but i think you know i have friends in the industry who have been working you know like 20 years now you know or, or more and there are times where i where i would look at their career and go oh i'm so jealous of that and there are also times where you go, they've not worked for 18 months. So I just think yeah. that is the reality. Like, Definitely. Very few, I think you could pick anyone. I think you could pick, you know, you could go to Brad Pitt and he would yeah. go, yeah, but I don't get offered these roles. You know, everyone, nothing, no one's got a perfect career. And also, you know, actors always want to do the things that they're not being asked to do <laughs> more often than not. So I think that's the thing, you mm. know, and, and again, you look at those people like Johnny Depp's and Brad Pitt's and all those sort of yeah. people, they've spent most of their lives trying to, trying so hard to escape and play the sort of roles that they're not, they've not been offered. So, yeah. you know, that shows that even with people like that at the top of the tree, there's still that kind of yeah. um, dissatisfaction with, with what is coming their way as an actor. So I think... I think you've just got to early on just go, this is going to be a, a, a process and a journey and some bits are going to be great and some bits are going to be difficult and some bits are going to be so busy you can't even breathe and some bits are going to be so quiet that you think you're never going to work again. Oh, and oh, yeah, be open to Everyone that. goes through. Yeah. Cameron Diaz has quit acting because she wasn't getting any jobs. Cameron Diaz. I didn't I mean, know that. 
God. gave up because she wasn't getting offered stuff she wanted to do. Wow. My God. Yeah. But wow, indeed. Let's bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move on slightly. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your working process. And is it the same on, on every project or does it differ depending on what you're working on? I think it's, I think I'm starting to now, nearly 40, having been doing it for 20 years or so, starting to develop something that I could almost call a process. Okay. However, it still does differ uh, a little bit depending on the project. I think now I'm starting to go... I'm starting to understand what works for me and what doesn't work for me, and, and you know. But um, I think I think your process also changes as you as a person change. You know, like I would used to be, um, I used to sort of be the sort of person that would write down. And oh, oh, I had a really good quote about this the other day. What is it? There's vomitors and um, Pla- what's the other one? Planets. Planets. And planets. Yeah. Um, I think well, that was on our thing, wasn't it? I you mentioned this, yeah, last week. Um, yeah. But now I'm getting better at planning, and so like I'm, I'm starting to, I'm my process is sort of changing, uh, and I'm changing a bit as a writer. But I think, I think it does sort of sometimes depend on the project. And also, like what I'm writing for, you know, like I'm very different if I'm writing a piece of theatre that I know is going to be made by my company yeah. whereas if I'm writing a TV thing or if I'm writing something that they, or, or you know uh, trying to adapt something or I, I'm really at the moment I've started to really enjoy the process of writing uh, recently and I think that's because I've started to understand what works for me more but that might change in a year's time yeah. so I, I think the key for me, I think the real key about a writing process is about is about your relationship with yourself, with your brain, with your consciousness and your subconsciousness and going, how do you wrestle um, what you need out of yourself? And what do you, you know, you, it's this sort of constant dance with yourself to kind of cultivate this stuff in your brain so that it can come out of you. <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of a roundabout answer, but I think the, the big I think it changes as as your relationship with yourself changes in a way because you're constantly pulling at at that, I think. Yeah. I, I can see where you are with that. Um and yeah, that's a funny one because I've asked quite a lot of writers that on this podcast. And like I couldn't answer that myself. So mm it's probably a really mean question but, <laughs> I think it's an interesting question yeah. as well as when you sort of go what is my process and I think I think it's a, probably a long it's a long development to kind of develop a process I mm. think yeah I, I'm going to move on slightly you've created several immersive theatre experiences Mm. With Les Enfants Terribles, including Alice's Adventures Underground in 2017. Um, again, in terms of process, how does it differ when you're creating something that is immersive and sex specific rather than in, in a traditional prosage sense? I think like, it's totally different because you're sort of. Our, the stuff that we do in immersive is very much about trying to put the audience member at the heart of it and sort of at the heart of the story. So you're sort of writing a piece of work without a protagonist or with a kind of empty space for the protagonist. Yes. So you're kind of trying to write... Firstly, you're trying to write like a, a sort of complete three-dimensional world and you're trying to write um, for, um, hang on one second. Did someone stand? So you were talking about... Yeah, you're kind of trying to write this sort of three-dimensional world with all these yeah. different options because you want your audience to have a, a freedom to be able to do this or do that or 
you know, go whatever direction they want to go in. So, it, it, yeah, it's a completely different thing. You don't have the level of kind of authorship that you have otherwise. Um, it, you know, when you're when you're writing a normal piece, it's much more. You're sort of collaborating with your audience, even though they're not there to be part of that mm. process. And then, as soon as you put them in, they will also then tell you what they want from it and how it works. So it's a very very different process. And in Alice's Adventures Underground, how, how many different kind of storylines or possible outcomes did you have? Well, there's sort of four main different routes, um, but in terms of the experience that people can have, it's, it's, I mean, almost limitless in a way because you've got you've got all these different kind of one-on-one experiences that can happen and then all of the actors play about five different roles each so they swap roles Mm. every night so that basically the chance of seeing exactly the same show twice is almost impossible because you'll see Mm. a different cast you'll go on a different route you might get pulled into this thing or or that place and so there's so many different we, we try and make everyone feel like they have as unique an experience as possible and like, um, how? What are the difficulties then of like producing that? Um, are, are there certain challenges that come across because it's such specific? Because it's immersive that you don't yeah, have the audience. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you've got your again, like I say, you're you're making a piece without your central character, and and where your central character has never seen the script, and then you're throwing them into mm. it so um you never know what they're gonna do or how they're gonna react so that's always the biggest challenge um and then you know depending on where you're making it you have all mm. kinds of different you know when we did alice we did it in the bolts and you had issues with air conditioning and um you know uh, water dripping from the sea and trains going overhead and you know like yeah. things that you would never normally have to think about so, you know, depending on where you do it, you know, it's not this kind of sealed black box that a theatre is. It's, it's a live living space, yeah. which is what makes it amazing and exciting, but it also makes it much more of a kind of interesting challenge. <laughs> I, I'm going to move on. I'd like to talk about your uh, TV stuff now. So you co-created um, your first TV series, it was called Whites, and that was BBC Two. Um, what was the difference? Again, it's about process and the difference between theatre and TV. Did you feel like you had less control? The, uh, TV is definitely a more collaborative medium in the sense that, you know, I, I particularly now, I'm... I'm lucky or pussy or however you want to look at it but you're like i'm much i'm lucky that i now get to be involved in my tv shows sort of from inception to you know and i produce and i'm black i directed as well and i was in it and stuff like that but certainly when you start off and in this country traditionally it's a lot more of a separate process you know often the writers do their little bit and then they hand it to the director and then the director does their bit and then it goes into the edit and then the sort of producer has the power so there's a there's a strange kind of relay race in this country that often happens is like the person with the ultimate power um sort of moves as you go through the stages uh that's slightly different in america because you have the kind of the role of the showrunner which is the sort of writer producer Mm. which is the sole voice that kind of carries the whole process from start to finish. Um, but yeah, like, I think, you know, you can't... TV is, by its nature, has to be collaborative, and I think for it to be a good, you know, to its success, you have to kind of lean into that. And there's so many other considerations. You need to factor in actors' schedules and filming plans and budgets and all of this mm. sort of stuff so it's it's a it's a bigger process um whereas with theater or particularly with me with les enfants if i was if it was with my own company you can kind of do whatever you want mm. um 
so that's the big difference I suppose you don't even have to finish the script if you're producing it yourself you can just write a few yeah. pages and then go right this is what we're going to do let's figure it out and when you were in like for example do you feel those constraints are you aware of oh I can't do that because of X or Z you try not to be aware of it at the start unless they're kind of very specific constraints like this actor can only do three episodes or whatever it is yeah. but <clears throat> Once you get through past those first drafts, those first few drafts, then it then it very much becomes about that. You know, you, you're you're very conscious of you, you know you have to try and juggle all those different things um, in your in your work in the drafts. You know, you're going we, well. You can't afford to shoot that sequence outside or on a boat or on a this that and the other. Yeah. So you're always always trying to come up with kind of creative solutions to make that stuff work so it's yeah it's, a, it's an interesting and quite sort of um it can sometimes feel like quite an uncreative part of the redrafting process but mm. you know it can be an interesting challenge as well and with flack which um i've read a few drafts on because ollie's running a development scheme for writers at the moment that so, um she has to be a part of but, like with flack like, why Why was that a story that you wanted to tell? What was it about those characters that you were interested in? I sometimes don't quite know consciously why I want to do something, mm. at the start at least. Um, I think I knew I wanted to do some... I, I, I liked the kind of satirical aspect of working in sort of that you know that's something about that kind of celebrity world you know the uh, I, I thought it was very um ripe for satire that kind of stuff and the, the, how ridiculous it is and how you know particularly as we go on like our culture is changing in a way that we're all sort of PRing our own lives mm. via Instagram and social media and stuff like that. Do, um, do you see kind of say that like Flack is set in, in the world of PR? And it's yes, about... sorry, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's sort of set around kind of celebrity PR and like you know problem solving and like people like when a scandal comes out, how they spin it and what that mm. all happens. So I, I I thought that was quite a fun world and. So I, I wanted to write a show with a really interesting and complicated female protagonist. Um, and there was something about that role and that job, whereas basically it's all about lying and manipulating and, you know, mm. which is sort of makes her really, really good at her job. But then those are skills that she can't really transfer into her personal life because it makes her really bad at her personal life. And I thought that was an interesting paradox mm. to play with, I suppose. But how aware I was of that at the time, I don't know. <laughs> but like, it's really interesting about the setting, and I love that kind of contrast. That's created. And like, in terms of that initial idea, like how much were you kind of not bullied by external influences, but how much were you influenced to make changes by people like script editors? Or did you ever feel like, oh, that's kind of not my vision anymore. Let's go back at depth. That's not really what the story I want to tell. You have moments, but you've got to learn, you learn to pick your battles and you learn when to stand your ground. And that's why you've got to have a really kind of strong understanding of your own voice and the relationship with yourself as a writer because you've got to know when when the fights are worth having um because you know with that with that show we had anna paquin's in it and her production company was a co-producer and then you had hat-trick productions and then you had an american network and you had an english network and you know like so you have a lot of voices and you are in the middle and you're trying to keep the show to have you're trying to keep your voice mm. but you're also you need to listen to all these other people and sometimes that becomes overwhelming but sometimes you also go you know there are some notes where you go well actually i don't care about that so if that's what yeah. you want then why not it doesn't you know okay. you, you learn to you got to learn to let go and you got to learn to when to hold on you know mm. and that's a balance because you can't just say no to everything but also you 
can't say yes to everything. Um, you've got to try and find that balance, really. Mm. And like kind of standing up for what you believe in, I suppose. As well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. You've got. To, ultimately, you've got to keep your own vision and what you care about because. You know, if you're being pushed this way by this department or this or that and the other, mm. at the end of the day, when, it, when it's on screen, no one will know about that. All they'll know is about yeah. what you've written. So you've got to kind of keep that at the back of your mind. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a it's a it's a constant little little dance and a little balance, trying to kind of spin all these plates and keep everyone happy. Was and, but at the same time, mm. keep the integrity of the show in place. Was there much of a bit of difference between the American version and the British version? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you go, you, you, you select all, bind bin, replace it with trash can, boot becomes trunk. <laughs> uh, no, there's sort of changes in the sense of like those language things which are kind of straightforward mm. but there are you know like there, there are also some sort of very fundamental differences between english humor and american humor um sort of things that you don't even think about British uh, and, just, uh... and, and just yeah so it's it is there are differences mm. but this was a particularly strange situation because we were making it for an american network and an english network and we actually had an American version and an English version. That, right. yeah, they, they had different edits of the show uh, that went out, and one of them was a bit longer than the other one, and one had more commercial breaks than the other. Yeah. So there's lots of weird little changes like that. So you, um, had to, you had to write more material for one of the versions? Yeah, or cut material yeah. for one of them, or you had to have different jokes because one thing didn't translate to somewhere else, and yeah. so... There's lots of sort of weird, bizarre little details that you have to try and balance. And sometimes you have like your your favourite joke, but like yeah. <laughs> only a very specific English audience might get that joke. So you then have to try and think of another one that will work better for an, for an American audience or, or vice versa. And, and as as an English writer, is it difficult to like get into to the heads of an American audience to think like, oh, what are they doing? Without kind of making uh, it a bit kind of cliched, do you know what I, I mean? Think I actually think it's not. Uh, it's not that different because, you know, like we, uh, you know, we grow we've grown up on American mm. television and American material. So actually, like I watch more American shows than I watch English shows. So uh, I think actually, weirdly, there's it's more straightforward than you perhaps think it will be at the start. Mm. I'm just, yeah, from my personal point of view, if I was ever in the situation that you wrote something which was quite universal in terms of, like, not that it could be set anywhere, but, like, there's no kind of defining mm. geographic features. But if I wrote something which was very kind of Welsh, a very kind of, um, you know, it had a Welshness to it, and that that just wouldn't translate for an American market. Like I yeah. think they tried to take Gavin and Stacey, they made an American version of that, and it didn't work. Like, well, so. that is the thing. Is like there are some things that just are about exist because they're about what they are, and, mm. and you know, like you can't just pick them up and put them somewhere else because where they are is and 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 the culture of that place is is so particular again says is such an example of that it's so the joy of it is that it's so specific so i think it's almost like if you if you want to try and translate a show like gavin and stacy you've got to really i mean you've got to kind of take the spirit of it somehow and you know and then uh, but 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 completely convert that into somewhere else but it's, mm. it is equally kind of um specific yeah it's really interesting though um mm. 
As for me, like, as, as an original writer, Theatre World has always seemed a lot more accessible to me than TV. Um, and you give me loads of advice on course about breaking into the TV industry, but for people who are listening to this, there might be emerging writers listening. What advice would you give for kind of breaking into TV yeah, and starting I think to write it just TV? Probably feels more for me, you know, more accessible to people because, well, certainly when you're younger, like it is more accessible. Like you, you learn about theatre in schools, and you, you know, you can go to theatre and stuff like that. And there are much more kind of programs like National Youth Theatre and stuff like that that you can access. And there isn't really that for television. Uh, saying that, I think actually, as an industry, it's no. Once you're an adult, I, I think it's no less accessible than theatre. Oh, so, some parts more accessible, but it's just knowing where to start. You know, the best start as a as a writer would be to look at the shows you love, look at the production companies that have made them, and then reach out to people there. You know, reach out to mm. the the. Develop the people who are in development at the companies that you've um, that have made shows that you love. Contact them, say, uh, you know, reach out to the producers or whoever, and say, I love this show. Tell them why you love this show. Tell them why you contacted them personally and directly. You know, rather than just you're better sending five specific, direct, targeted emails than fifty generic emails every mm. time. You know, you've got. To, give someone a reason to go, oh, this person sounds interesting. They sound like they know what they're talking about. They sound like they genuinely are interested in me specifically and all this company. So, you know, I'll continue that conversation. So my biggest thing would be to be like, you know, figure out who you want to get in touch with and and then figure out how, you know, like mm. if you love this particular program, look at who made it. Look at the, who you know who the development people there are. Find them online. Go on their website. Drop them an email. Tell them about yourself. You know, don't send them your life story and don't send them twenty scripts. Again, I, like I think yeah. the key is quality over quantity. You don't need to send them twenty ideas. You need, need to send them one good idea. You don't need to contact fifty million producers. You need to contact five producers. Mm but you need to have a reason to contact them and you need to give them a reason to listen to your email. Quality over quantity is always my advice and target mm. your approaches. That's the advice that you've been giving us on the um, on the course that you've been running. Um, like it's been really helpful. Oh, and it's kind of, you know, it sounds simple just sending an email, but I guess there's a skill in kind of knowing who to contact and really refining mm. what you're going to write and knowing what you're... Well, it's remembering, yeah, it's remembering that those people are, mm. are just people. So, like, yeah. what would make them, if they get an email from you, what is going to make them go, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to reply to this or I'm going to help or I'm going to read this person's script. What is the, as a human, what what do you need to do in that email to make them pick it up and go, oh, yeah, I'm... I, this has caught my attention. Mm. Yeah, without kind of like, there's got to be balance, hasn't it? Not too much about you, not too much about the idea. And like, mm. not making it too long either, because they're not going to read that if it's. Yeah. There, there's this you just thing. have to get their attention. I mm. think I need to it's get better. It's better for them to that. ask for more information than for them to stop reading your message because you've given them too much. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And thought of that. But you're right. Um, lastly, before I let you go, um, what advice would you give to someone who's you've given loads of advice already, but what specific advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in the industry? I would say love you know enjoy and love the thing that you're trying to do because like we've said like sometimes it'll be great sometimes it'll be terrible sometimes it'll be easy sometimes it'll be hard if you if you're going to have a long career it will be all of those things and if all you're interested in is the outcome if all you're interested in is the one big job or the or the big break or the this that and the other like 
if you're lucky enough to have a career, then you'll miss half of it because you'll always be waiting for the next thing. Um, and also, like, that's the great thing. The great thing is the process. So enjoy the process. And then if you're enjoying the process, then you will be better at it for a start. But also you will have that kind of lightness that we've talked about by by kind of going, enjoy the work itself, do the work for the love of it, mm. you know, enjoy the process of writing or the process of acting, you know, enjoy the fringe theatre production as much as the national theatre production. And then, you know, it's a, it's a process and it's a long career and, you know, try and invest and enjoy as much of it rather than just seeing everything as... Uh, stepping stone to the next mm. thing to the next bigger yeah. thing because you know actually really you know if you think about that as a tra- trajectory of just keep going up 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 you know probably the, the the you know the steeper the curve the steeper the fall off mm. probably like if you hit that peak then where do you go from there actually you, you're not looking for a kind of pyramid shaped career you're looking for a sort of constantly up down you know like going a, up in different directions like a range of mountains really exactly yeah. you're looking for something that, that is you're not just looking for this because also if you do that and if you're like waiting for that one big job yeah most of the time when that big job hits after that job then you're like oh God, what do i do now <laughs> where do you go from there you know there's mm. i know so many people that have had their biggest period of difficulty in their career after their biggest success because there's this sudden look what do you you know what happens next so i think enjoy the process enjoy all of it enjoy the work itself because that's where the joy is that's where the joy in a a career like this can be really found is is you know in i look back now and i go you know there are probably jobs that i did where i was just going well i hope this can lead to um, you know, uh, will a casting director see it, or will it get me yeah. a tally job, this, that, and the other? And I think back and going, God, you know, I was doing these random plays, and we were driving around all over Europe, and it like, there's some of the best times in my life, and like, enjoy them for what they are, yeah. rather than seeing everything as a means to an end, and and something that might lead to something bigger or better. You know, like, enjoy it because you, if you're doing it, you're already ahead of the game and really lucky and privileged to be to be doing it so appreciate it thank you so much Ali. it's been fun talking to you um you're very welcome that's it for this episode of in lockdown with but on the next episode i will be talking to emma evans who is senior producer at the wales millennium center so until then i will uh both me and both Ali. bye Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.